Welcome back, everybody, to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Kerry Parker. And this is part two of my interview with Richard Stokes, the CEO and founder of Winston Privacy. Uh, for some reason, you missed last week's episode. You definitely want to go check that one out first. So dial it back and go check out the previous week's episode. Uh, and then dive into this one. The, today, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, get uh, Richard's advice on what you can do to protect your privacy. And of course, including the the whole reason he's here is uh, this new Winston Privacy Box. Uh, it has yet to ship, I believe. Uh, I've ordered my own. I went ahead and after we talked and uh, did some my own little personal research, I've definitely got to check this thing out. So I've already ordered my own box. and I'm anxiously waiting for that to arrive. Um, you can uh, go to winstonprivacy.com. You can find out more information there, but you could also listen to this first and we're going to talk about what this box does. And honestly, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So even after you listen to this episode, I would still recommend going to the website because um, it's just, it's quite amazing all the different features packed into this box. Again, I will note that, uh, and I'll take, I'll take the blame for this. There was some sort of a communication or bandwidth issue or something going on. And so there, there will be some audio glitches, uh, glitches in this. Uh, I apologize for that. I tried to edit them out as best I could, uh, but I couldn't quite get rid of all of them. So, um, you will find some glitches from time to time. I very much apologize for that, but it's really a fascinating interview and, the stuff that <laughs> I learned some things from this guy that I, that I had not heard of myself. And that's saying a lot. I thought I'd really kind of been around. <laughs> thought I'd heard it all. Uh, but I had not, it's, it's just unbelievable. The different ways and the links that these companies will go to learn as much about you as possible. It's just cr super, super creepy. So, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I also will say that today's talk will get a little bit technical. We're going to, you know, we'll start talking about packets and TCP and and some other things that, you know, might make your eyes glaze over a little bit. You know, try not to let that, you know, get, get you hung up if that's something that you're, you know, if you, if the technical stuff makes your eyes glaze over, just, just skip over that part. It's not, it's not crucial or not, not skip over as like skip ahead, but just, you know, in your, in your brain, don't worry if you're not following all of it, that's fine. Uh, it's not necessary to understand what this box does. Uh, but I did, you know, I couldn't resist by being a software engineer. I had to ask a few technical questions. Uh, so we did dive into uh, the weeds a little bit on that, but I, so I'll apologize ahead of time if that's not your thing. But I do assume there are some people out there who would be interested in those technical details. So, you know, it's a fine line to walk and uh, just don't let it get you down if for some reason it feels like it's over your head. All right, now we're going to pick up where we left off. And if you recall last week, where we left off was I had just asked Richard, why can't we just go back to the old days? And the, <laughs> the advertising has been around forever. And you know, that used to be demographics based. I mean, you know, if you wanted to target a certain audience, you had to find some venue that met that demographic need. So you'd put your billboards or your TV commercials or your radio ads or print ads in the right magazine show, etc., to hit the right audience. And I'd asked him how much more valuable these targeted ads are, these behavioral ads are. And he started off talking about an unnamed company that had some pretty remarkable tracking capabilities and then went on to say that that's nothing. You haven't heard anything yet. And that's where we will pick up with this week's part two episode, uh, my interview with Richard Stokes. They are a lot more valuable. Uh, the more we know about you, the more susceptible you are to being influenced. So let me give an example. Imagine this happening you know, 10,000 times over. Uh, there's a company out there 
again, I can't say the company name, but they brag about having the location of every mobile phone user in the U.S. within 10 feet and 60 seconds, right? Wow. And what they're doing, that by itself is not that special. You got to remember, this is, that's, you know, kind of the starting point where technology was, you know, two or three years ago. What they're doing that's special is they're building out a metadata layer on top of that to identify um, who's married and when people are with their spouses, right? And they, their technology is to target them at that point through various channels for for ads, because what they've learned is people are more susceptible to advertising when they're with their spouse. Hmm. So imagine this being this, this sort of model being replicated in many different ways by many different companies, and where you end up with is this almost uh, Darwinian evolution of this, you know, very invasive privacy system or advertising system. I mean. So, yeah, yeah, you really are much more valuable to advertisers when they know more about you. Well, and th- I ran across this somewhere recently, too, and I thought it was it goes to this point. And it's, you know, at one point it was about let's keep track of where you're going to just to just to gather data. You know what, what's popular? Then it was, OK, well, now that we know a little bit more about you, let's show you things that we think you're going to want to buy. And then the next the next level, and that's where we're headed now, and I think that's what you're kind of alluding to is. I want to, I want to influence what you want to buy. It's not so much. I'm going to show you things that I know you already like. I know enough about you now that I can actually manipulate your behavior and make you like something that you might, you know, essentially get you to like something you might not have even considered before, because I know how to manipulate you. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's where things get next level. I mean, that, that, that thing, that's where, I mean, if, if you weren't scared before, you weren't creeped up before, I mean, that. I mean, that's, I guess it's Cambridge Analytica, right? It's the Russian it's the Russian influence campaign kind of stuff. Well, so imagine this, right? Um, you've probably seen those articles where people say, hey, you know, uh, I'm convinced that Facebook is listening to me on my microphone, and Facebook denies it, right? And there's been some studies there. Nothing's really convincing. But the fact is, when I give talks, I ask this question, and every time, without fail, about one in three of the people in the audience raise their hand. They say, yes, I had an experience where I saw an ad for something – you know, I never talked about before within a few minutes of having this conversation wow. with her. And so you have to argue, okay, are they telling the truth? Maybe they're getting the data from somebody else, which is very likely in my opinion. But there's a third possibility, and it's even worse than all the others. Um, let's say they are telling the truth, and they really are this good at predicting when you're going to talk about Hawaii. And then they start showing you ads without knowing anything about you, you know, other than your propensity to talk about why at a certain date and time. So that's even scary because what it means is they've collected enough data about you as an individual to model you, to simulate you on their huh. platform. Oh yeah. That, I, I hadn't quite looked at it that way. Oh yeah. That is, you're right. That is, uh, that is scary. Right. What a, so, you know, the, the, the one that we've talked about most is the creepy ads that follow you around. You go to one, one website or search on something, and then you go to some completely different website, and all of a sudden you're seeing ads based on that. That's We're getting, you know, we're maybe inured to that. But along with the things you're just talking about now, some of the other things you mentioned on the website was like things like price manipulation. Tell, tell us about how that works. Yeah, yeah. So you pay more for retail, airline, and hotel prices uh, when you're de-anonymized. And there's been some academic studies around this. I've read one where they looked at the home improvement category and they figured out if you buy things online, they know who you are. You pay an extra 40 cents per transaction, which doesn't sound like a lot, right? Uh, it's some small amount, but in, in scale, it's really worth it. Where it gets interesting is when you look at travel and hotel, and I believe there's another study which said you pay you know, 35 to $45 more per hotel for every night that you spend at a hotel um, as you continue to look 
they know who you are, right? So you are paying higher prices, and that's on a transactional basis. What we don't understand is where we're potentially paying higher prices or being denied services because of mm. what we're doing online. So there's a category of tracking called behavioral underwriting. And mm. that's where insurance companies use data gathered from brokers to determine underwriting risk. Now, some of this is illegal in the United States, um, other markets it's not illegal, and some it's perfectly legal. So there was a company called Zest Financial at one point where um, I believe they had a script where it would be embedded on a web form and it would watch as you filled out the form to see if you made typographical errors, if you type quickly <laughs> or slowly, if you backspace, use commas wrong, that type of thing. And they would mine this information and feed it into the credit models. They would sell that to. to oh, jeez. Right. So that's pretty interesting right there, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of real world impacts. Well, unemployment too. I mean, it, it, I think a lot of people realize now that, you know, one of the things the employer does is they'll look up your credit report. But I mean, you know, at this point, look at all the other things they could find out about you and this may affect your employment. Of course, they never tell you uh, <laughs> that that's why you didn't get the job or why you didn't, you know. They would just, you know, say thanks, but no thanks. But yeah, who knows? What? Oh, jeez. All right. Um, so, is there is there any today? Other, you know, obviously we're going to get to your solution in a minute. But is there any effective way to opt out of data collection through uh, privacy settings or some? You know, there are various clearinghouse do not track things. I was I just saw this thing in the Washington Post. I think it was today, uh, where you know it talked about it had an article about how to opt out and. And they, they listed off Axiom, Experian, Oracle, LexisNexis, Epsilon, just like the top five. Yeah. And then they recommended some other site called StopDataMining.me. And I went to look at the website, and it had like 50 entries. And these are the idea being that if you would manually, personally, go through each one of these, and they all have some probably arcane method and probably involving sending an actual signed letter, <laughs> you know, in a lot of cases, to make it as painful as possible, to, to go through and try to opt out of these, some of these things. So it just seems like a lost cause. It, does that work? Is there any point in doing this? Is there really any any way to opt out today? Well, you know, it really comes down to how much time you want to put into the problem. Uh, what they're <laughs> doing is they're enacting a time and attention tax on this, right? And so it doesn't take too much uh, demands on your time and attention where you, to get you to the point where you just give up. And that's the crux of the mm -hmm. problem, right? The big tech companies have reluctantly made it possible to modify your privacy settings but realistically, nobody can keep up with that. So let me give you an example. Uh, there's a great journalist, privacy journalist with the Washington Post named Jeff Fowler. And so I was speaking with him two weeks ago. Now, here's a really smart, educated person when it comes to Internet privacy. In my experience, probably the most well-educated expert on privacy, maybe not from a technical level, but from understanding all the issues and how these companies are doing it and being well-connected and interviewing engineers one-on-one. -on -one probably the most well-connected person I know. And so uh, I showed him how Chrome would automatically sign you in anytime you logged into Gmail or any other Google service. And then this would trigger Chrome to start tracking all of your activity and send it to Google where it would be logged in your account. And he had no idea, never seen this before. So then I showed him the setting to turn it off. And again, he had talked to Chrome engineers. He talked to Firefox <laughs> engineers. Nobody had ever brought this to his attention. I was the first one. Uh -huh. And he wrote about it in an article just last week. Actually, it might have been this week. Uh, so if this expert doesn't know about this massive gaping privacy hole in a browser that most people are using, most people on the planet are using, what chance does the average person have? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I caught wind of that too. And I actually mentioned that one of my podcasts, but yeah, it was our, it, you know, the average, there's no way the average person would have stumbled across that. It wasn't going to be on the nightly news. So Apple has been making a really big deal out of privacy in, in recent years. Are they, in your perspective, are they actually significantly better than Google's Android or uh, for mobile devices or Windows, um, Microsoft Windows for, for, for computers? So as a former industry insider, I can tell you unequivocally, they are vastly better. Um, that doesn't make mm-hmm. them perfect by any means. And there's a lot of misses on the iPhone and iOS tracking gets through constantly. You know, Jeff Fowler, journalist I just mentioned, wrote an article just a couple weeks about um, how iPhones were leaking all this data at night while people slept. Yeah. And he logged it. Saw that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I will tell you, Apple really is a lot better, um, but there's still a lot getting through. Are there any other privacy-oriented services or products that you you know that you could recommend off the top of your head if you're trying to if you want to cut back and de-Google yourself, for example, or you know social media, obviously, and messaging, email, these kind of things. Uh, if you were going to make recommendations to somebody who was trying to clean up their act a little bit, or at least you know make some some effort to switch some services that more protect their privacy and want to try to move away from things like Google and Facebook and Instagram, do you do you have any uh, recommendations off the top of your head? So I, I have a couple. Um, you know, DuckDuckGo is a privacy mm-hmm. respecting search engine that I recommend to people. Um, ProtonMail for personal email um, is a good service. You know, but the reality is you don't have a choice. Okay. There are too many yeah. linkages in the surveillance web, and you don't know how many companies there are out there that collect this data, what they're doing with it. You just really don't know. And so you can't opt out. And there's been a ton of articles with. People talking about the experiences spending a month trying to de-Google or de-Facebook themselves. Um, mm. And it's all of them, I think, end the same way. It's like, it was nearly impossible, and it cut me off from people, and it was it was just difficult, and I didn't like it, right? So, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of the world we live in now. I mean, we're in this digital age, and the Internet is our home. Um, and so, like it or not, these problems are here to stay. So... One last question, and then we're going to dig into uh, the product you've got coming out, the Winston Privacy Box. How do we, you know, we talked about services that are supposed to be protecting the VPN. There's the P is private, but and yet so many VPN services, particularly a lot of free ones, are untrustworthy. They're actually selling you out. So how do we? How do you know who to trust? Because even even if they're charging you money, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're protecting your privacy, regardless of what they say. I mean, obviously, if they get caught lying, they, they might be in some you know regulatory trouble but from the FTC or whoever. But you probably signed away something in some vague privacy policy anyway. So they're probably covered in that sense. So how do you, it's, you know, if you're, if the product is free, you're the product. That's a, a common refrain. But there's still a lot of for pay products that you can't trust either. I mean, look at your cellular providers and your ISPs. You're paying them lots of money, and they're still selling you out. So, so do you have any, you know, guidelines or rules of thumb for how, you know, the average consumer is supposed to look at a product or a service and determine, you know, how, how can I trust these guys with my privacy? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think they're going to have to make privacy part and parcel of their their business model and their technology platform. Right? It's going to be um, companies that stand by it, that put it out there in plain language that they're not doing this, right, that go through third-party audits and things like that. There's very few companies that meet those criteria today. Um, I'm trying to build one now that's trying to live up to that high standard, that hypothetical high standard. You know, everything we do is based around transparency, and we have a lot of discussions about, um, you know, just little decisions. Are they on the side of the consumer or are they not, right? And so... I don't think that's part of corporate DNA today. 
Um, we're currently trying to change it. So uh, I wish I had better advice at this point, but I'm hoping that there'll be more options out there in the future. So let's talk about your option. So Winston Box, and of course this was, that's a 1984 Orwell reference, the main character in, in uh, 1984, which is uh, chillingly appropriate today. <laughs> um, so how did, how did you come up with this as your solution? Obviously we've talked about lots of things that don't work. We've talked a lot of things that, that only half worked and this was your solution. It's a novel solution. I've, I've not really seen anything that does what your box does. So explain a little bit of, of how you came to decide uh, to put everything in a, in a box and how that kind of works. Yeah. So when I began looking at the privacy problem, I started with the history of the market, right? And a few observations jumped right out at me. So the first was that, you know, protecting your privacy was really hard and it was just too hard for the average individual. So you go on privacy forums, right? Or you go on the uh, privacy subreddit. And it's like they're actively trying to chase away ordinary people with all the jargon and recommendations and cynicism, you know, and very few people have the time or the patience for this. So there's a, like this sort of ingrained technical complexity and snobbery around that, yeah. um, you know, and then you have traditional solutions like ad blockers and VPNs, which don't work. And I know because I was in the ad industry and I worked with companies who knew how to circumvent them, you know, so if you, if you look in the, uh, you actually have to do searches um, in Germany to find like a, a series of exposés about Adblock Plus, right? And who owns them and um, how to get on their whitelist and things like this. And there's an incredible series, um, sort of an expose on this, you know, and you can see like they estimated how much Google was paying them to get through the ad blockers, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of placebo problems. Mm. And then, the, the third thing that I noticed was that a growing amount of privacy leakages taking place on protected devices like Amazon Echoes and smart TVs, things that didn't exist even just a few years ago. And you can't protect mm. any of that with software. So when you put these three things together, the solution was obvious. People wanted something simple, uh, effective and fast, something that wasn't going to break their Internet, something that actually worked and protected all these different sources of privacy leaks you know, without them having to think about it too much. So I set out to make that. And I wasn't sure that we could do it. I didn't always think it was going to be possible, mm. you know, because it, it, we spent 17 months developing it. And it was just like one roadblock after another. And coincidentally, a lot of these roadblocks were like in things like Chrome or other Google products, which just conveniently mm. had these features, which were there for other purposes, but um, also stopped us from doing certain things that would have made tracking much more difficult. But we just kept at it, you know, uh, I grew up in an auto shop. My dad had a, a famous uh, thing by Calvin. Uh, it's like a poem almost by Calvin Coolidge called Persistence. And that's so I just kept at it. And, you know, that's that's how we ended up where we're at. So, uh, I did a little bit of research on your on your device. It's, uh, it's on Kickstarter currently. And by the, by the time this comes out, we'll be past that. But you're also very well funded already. So uh, no, no worries there. But a little research about uh, what kind of things are off about this device. And one of the things I noticed was... Uh, some of the functions that the Winston provides actually re requires communicating with other Winston devices. Uh, so I'm curious what, what, what that's about, why that is, and how many, you know, how many other devices need to be out in the wild uh, deployed for this type of you know, meshing to work well. Right. So one of the things that we identified early on was that we did not want a VPN in our box, right? We wanted a zero knowledge network. And for that to happen, it had to distribute traffic uh, on 
somebody else's infrastructure that we could never access, right? Um, we want to be in a position where if uh, the government came to us and said, hey, reveal everything about this person, we wanted to just be able to say, hey, they're a subscriber that we can't tell you anything about what they're doing because we can't see it. it was, it's a philosophy of signal, for instance, right? So VPNs weren't a fit for us. And that meant, okay, well, we had to go to distributed models. So we looked at things that were being used um, throughout the world to circumvent problems like this. And actually it led us to China where we uncovered a whole lot of, you know, just experimental technologies for tunneling through the Great Firewall. And so that inspired a lot of our technology. We said, okay, look, now we have this distributed, self-organizing hybrid mesh network made out of all these devices. The devices will um, they'll find friends, new friends every 10 minutes, and they'll communicate with them and pass it around and just basically jumble and scramble the Internet activity in a way that nobody could ever piece it back together again. And so that's, you know, that's the design history of it. So as to how many devices, it's a um, surprisingly small number, smaller than you would think. There is a professor, uh, Professor Feenter has done some papers on this really interesting stuff. And he specifically has been studying what's the impact of having IoT devices in your home. Like, what does it expose you to? And one of the things that they looked at was, you know, traffic injection and traffic shaping, basically mixing in false traffic with true traffic to reduce the confidence that anybody could have that they're actually, what they're actually getting from you is real. And it takes a surprisingly small amount. I think it was like 3% of fake traffic. Now, the problem that hmm. they, they encountered in the academic literature was fake traffic is really easy to filter out, right? It doesn't look like real traffic. You know, you can use packet um, inspection to look at like echo um, communications, for instance, and find out what somebody's actually speaking with it versus you're just sending out bogus packets. And so one of the really cool things about um, our solution was that it's taking real traffic and scrambling it up over the network so it can't be distinguished and it can't be tied to an individual household, for instance. So to be clear, so basically what's going on is, it, you know, your internet traffic is, you know, whenever you're connecting to Amazon or Netflix or whatever, it, what's really under the covers is all these little packets, these little envelopes full of data that go out and they could be, they could take different paths they could, and they're reassembled at the other side. Your box, not works with other boxes that are on the network to kind of reroute some of the traffic ran somewhat randomly, I guess. And, and then, and changing over time, it's not even a constant thing between, between other boxes before it finally kind of exits onto the internet. Is that right? Yes. All right. Make sure, uh, make sure I understood that. So you said you didn't want a VPN, but some of the, uh, some of the things that this product does provide is VPN ish. Um, so how does it compare to a, like a traditional VPN? Like what's the, what's the pro con list, uh, of VPNs compared to like a, what a Winston does. Right. So the biggest con, um, sorry, the biggest pro is that it's much, much faster, right? You don't have to, um, manually connect to it when you start using the web you don't have to, for, um, you never forget to connect. So, mm -hmm. An example, let's say you're using a VPN, you want to use Netflix or something, you realize, okay, well, I can't watch whatever I was going to watch because Netflix bans VPNs. So you disconnect it, you forget to reconnect it after you're done. So that's a big problem. You know, it also protects mm -hmm. all your devices because it's a network compliance. Um, and so it's actually protecting your privacy, right? Where a VPN is, I, I don't want to say it, it's a complete placebo, because it is doing something very important. It does give you an encrypted tunnel to another endpoint, which helps to prevent people from eavesdropping on your local connection. But blocking, or I should say cloaking IP addresses, 
is just table stakes at this point. I mean, that that's tracking technology that was, you know, state-of-the-art 10, 12 years ago. So VPN doesn't really provide you much in the way of privacy. So in terms of cons, um, the biggest one is today we don't give the ability to um, access restricted content. So for instance, with a VPN, you can specify your endpoint. You say, you know, I want to watch television in Rome, for instance, right, or the internet. You could do that uh, ostensibly with a VPN if they have an endpoint in that market. And today we don't provide that. So, you know, Winston today in its current incarnation is really meant to provide um, anonymous, safer browsing. And it's not really a content unlocking tool. All right. So the nature of, you know, and I don't want to get super technical, but when when you're connecting to a, a web server over HTTPS and the S is for secure, you've got an encrypted tunnel is, or when, and when you're streaming from things like Netflix or when you're actually using a VPN, hopefully the VPNs are still compatible with the device. When you've got this kind of a mesh thing where it's switching back and forth, and then I guess as a follow-on question, I know that you're doing some scrubbing of the data and looking for, you know, uh, trying to peel out some stuff that, that might um, affect your privacy. Is that, could you still do that? I mean, how do you, how do you, because because the, the the connection actually from my computer to the far end is encrypted. Can you still do everything you need to do, even though the the, the pathway is um, uh, encrypted? Right, right. So you have to take into account like the network application model, right? So we don't interfere with browser encryption or do any man in the middle uh, interception. So the underlying protocol is irrelevant at the network level, which is essentially acting as a really really intelligent TCP router, right? Where it's creating TCP tunnels, and whatever travels over those tunnels, um, it can't really see too much of them other than the destination. So that, in turn, gets converted from what what I call slow TCP to fast, what we call a fast ACK protocol. And that's what gives us our really high latency, much better than a VPN. Typical latency is like 40 milliseconds. So it's fast enough we can't tell any difference. Now, in terms of the application layer stuff, like the cookie filtering and things like that, that occurs not at the HTTPS level, but within your browser. And so essentially what we do is we can upgrade and harden the browser privacy by bringing all these very strong application layer defenses into Chrome and Firefox, you know, and eventually Safari, um, where they all work in an integrated fashion to prevent privacy leakage. So it's really two layers um, working as a single solution. And I suppose we should say uh, back uh, a little bit is that th- what this is, is a, is a physical box of seen as that's not very large. It's maybe, I don't know, four or five inches square and only maybe an inch high or something like that. And it sits between your modem and your router, correct? Yes. So basically protect it's, it's a, you put it basically at the choke point at the, at the maiden exit point and everything on your, everything that connects to your home network by default, will then go through this and, and gain protection. So basically, as soon as you put this in, it, it, it umbrella will cover everything on your home network. That's right. When you plug it in, you get the network level protections for your entire network, and you're done, right? So everything starts um, transparently tunneling over the internet, scrambling up all over the country. Um, all this happens. You don't notice um, anything really happening on the end point. Like there's no, you don't have to like connect to an endpoint or things like that. Um, now, if you want to harden the browser, then you do um, install our browser extension. And those are you know just standard installs. Those are in the Chrome and Firefox stores. Gotcha. All right, so obviously this is great for your home network, um, which is a, a big place where, we're at, where we need to protect our privacy. What about the future? Do you, do you envision any kind of a product for a mobile device and how would that work? 
So, yeah, we actually have a prototype of that already working. Um, the promise out there is if we hit 500K on our Kickstarter campaign, we're going to add it to our roadmap this year, and all of our backers would get it for free. So we'll see what happens. You know, we're not at the 500K mark yet, but we got a few days left. So um, I would say, though, it's definitely within the realm of possibility. So the obvious last question then is, I want one of these. How do I get one? What, 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 is it, what does it cost? Where do I go? Sure. So our Kickstarter campaign's ending in a few days. Uh, I'm not sure the podcast will air before then. Um, if not, you can get it on Indiegogo. <laughs> um, we actually just made the decision today to extend the campaign on Indiegogo because so many people hmm. are asking for these. And there's a few different pricing options, you know, and we've been experimenting with pricing. So the retail price of the box is $249, but we've discounted that, you know, during this initial launch period. It's pretty heavy discounts. There's a couple different ways you can get it, right? There's a base product with a subscription model where you get a year for free, and then it's eight, eight bucks a month after that, and that covers all your devices. Um, we also decided to experiment with a lifetime subscription model where, where you just buy the device and never pay us anything ever again, right? And that's been surprisingly popular because it allows people to get rid of their VPN bills. So um, mm. it's something that we're experimenting with. I think we'll do it on Indiegogo for a couple of months. We'll see what happens after that. So, I, you know, we're hoping to reward the early buyers. Um, and that's a pretty good way to do it. Awesome. I'll definitely include all links to, to all that. The Kickstarter will definitely be over by the time this airs, but uh, the Indiegogo one won't. So I'll be sure to uh, include a link of that on the, the show notes. So you created the hardware, and, uh, and we, there was a, a big stink, uh, gosh, it was a year, a year and a half ago, where some Chinese company was supposedly putting spy chips in all of the, uh, I don't know, it was Apple products or it was Intel motherboards. I think it was Intel motherboards. Um, so this is like a supply chain, the classic supply chain attack where there's, you know, the hardware is being made and you, uh, and somebody that, you know, cause a lot of these things, let's face it, are contracted, uh, in Asia, uh, a lot of them in China. So do you, how do you plan to address that security aspect of your hardware? How do, how do, how can you know as a, as a provider of this hardware that it hasn't been tampered with, uh, and that we could trust the hardware itself? So that's a really interesting supply chain problem. And, we just rolled out, um, you know, with the ARM trust zone on the chips, um, we have locked down access to the firmware, and that's encrypted. Um, but we made the decision to basically put on a dummy operating system on the chips itself when they're fl- when they're initially flashed. So, you know, like you mentioned, parts have to, generally speaking, for this to be affordable, parts have to be sourced from Asia. We then made the decision to assemble it in Anaheim where we can have more control over that, over hmm. um, that process itself. And then just to be certain, we, you know, we put the, the arm trust zone in place um, and the dummy operating system, and then we do the final flashing ourselves. So that way we have like a great deal of confidence that, you know, the boards haven't been tampered with and nobody's got on the operating system and so on. Um, that said, it may be overkill, you know, because Winston keeps the encryption intact between your browser and, you know, the endpoint the level of exposure if somebody gets into it is pretty much at worst the same level of exposure, maybe even a little bit less than if they got into your wireless router, right? So they um, they could potentially see what websites you're visiting, but they couldn't access any of the, the encrypted transmissions that are taking place. So, you know, we try to be cognizant of that, and hopefully there's no spy chips on there, and we're certainly taking steps to prevent that from happening. All right. One last question before we go, and because obviously you've done a lot of research to, to, to get where you've gotten, and you've even brought up some things that I wasn't aware of. Uh, for the for our listeners, uh, 
do you have any of your what are your some of your favorite basically privacy based online resources if if someone wanted to go and uh, and learn about some some other maybe alternative services or just kind of beef up their privacy knowledge where would you recommend that they go so we've been talking about this you know because we've gotten this question a lot and you know in the past I've turned people onto the piehole forums but they're not very user friendly so in terms of finding something really friendly for the average individual um, I don't think that there's anything out there yet. And we're thinking about putting something together ourselves for that in the future. So stay tuned for that. Mm. Basically, uh, we're looking for more of a, we're looking to build more of a common sense privacy forum for people who are concerned about privacy and protecting themselves, but not really too concerned yeah. with the technology and all that other stuff that goes on with it. So that's what we're hoping to build. Well, that'd be fantastic. So if that happens, make sure you reach out to me and let me know, and I will make sure that all the listeners are aware of it. Rich, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was amazingly informative, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to definitely have to get one of these boxes for myself. And uh, wonderful talking to you today. Thank you, Carrie. Really appreciate you having me on the air. Big thanks again to Richard for coming on the show. I'm so glad uh, I found him. I think it was uh, maybe his, uh, his executive assistant that found me on Twitter and recommended the product. And that's how this kind of whole thing got rolling. And I'm so happy that we hooked up because this is really cool. Um, and you know, first of all, they did, by the way, they were looking for $500,000. Uh, well, actually, they were looking for much less than that. They passed their initial goal immediately. Uh, but they were uh, they were looking for the as he mentioned the five hundred thousand dollar goal. If they reached that goal, then they were going to add a mobile version of Winston to their roadmap, and they did hit that goal. So I really look forward to that as well because while the privacy box is really cool for your home, uh, it doesn't you know it, it, because it's for your home. Once you leave your home and your smartphone, it uh, you can't you're back to right where we are now, which is unprotected. So uh, really looking forward to see what they come up with there. That'll be interesting. And since the Kickstarter is now over, if you would like to get one of these boxes yourself, uh, probably the easiest way, the simplest way uh, is just to go to winstonprivacy.com, go to their main website. And again, uh, we just scratched the surface of what this thing does. So go to the website, read through it, and all the features that are packed into this box. It's really quite amazing. I've, I've ordered my own I, from Kickstarter. I was one of the last people to get on the Kickstarter, I guess. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to getting that. I don't, I don't know when they ship, but I'm, I'm very interested in trying that one out myself. But more to the point, and I, I would just like to say, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again, it's important to support efforts like this, even if, uh, you know, this particular box isn't perfect and nothing's perfect. Um, it's important to, A, you know, support people like this that are trying to do the right thing to, to let, you know, to let them know that this is important and not just for them, but for other companies as well, established companies that are around, you know, if they start to see people are willing to pay for their privacy, uh, then, you know, maybe they'll start offering things that, you know, uh, instead of all these free, quote unquote, free services that that monetize you, you know, maybe some of these companies will finally start saying, OK, you know what? People actually really care about this stuff. Maybe I'm going to have a version of this that people pay for where I stop tracking you. And it also, I think, will incentivize other people like Richard that have really great ideas to say, you know, people are willing to pay for this, obviously. I mean, they asked, I forget what their initial goal with was with Kickstarter, but it was, I don't know, like $20,000 or something, and they hit half a million. And, you know, so I, I think after Cambridge Analytic and, and all these, some of these things that are hitting the news, people are finally waking up and they're finally realizing that, you know, these things are important and we've got to support companies like this to, um, when, when they produce products and they do try to do the right thing and hopefully inspire others to do the same as well. 
Now, you know, obviously I'm not saying everybody on the show go out and buy one of these things. I'm sure, I'm sure Richard would love that. My point is things like this, find something that you want to take a chance on, uh, and put your money where your mouth is. Um, all of us put our money where our collective mouths are, and that is to, uh, support these efforts and, and try to encourage more things like this. So again, go to winstonprivacy.com. You can learn more about there. And they, even though the Kickstarter thing is now over, they still are doing some pre-orders on Indiegogo. Uh, I'm not even going to bother spelling that because if you go to the website and there's a button right there that says pre-order now or something like that, if you click that, it'll take you there. So if you go to winstonprivacy.com, not only can you learn about the device, but if you're interested in buying it, you can see what kind of discounts because they do have some, this is kind of like early bird kind of thing, right? You're getting in on the ground floor. So if this is something that interests you, uh, this is a great time to get one because it's going to be below list price. So, uh, check that out and that's going to do it. That's going to wrap up our show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you again next week. We'll have a news show and I'll catch you up on all the things that have happened, uh, over the last couple of weeks. And of course I've got some other great interviews coming down the pike. So, uh, thanks for tuning in. Go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Tell your friends and family as well. Spread the word and, uh, drop me some great reviews on uh, Apple iTunes as well. I very much appreciate it. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. And until then, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.